cannibals. You will be eaten by cannibals. These are the words that were shared in response to John Patton as he shared with his Scottish church in 1858 that he was going to take the gospel to the New Hybrids Islands. One of the church elders says, you're gonna be eaten by cannibals. Now this gathering of islands off the coast of Australia, now called the nation of Vanuatu, the previous two missionaries there had been murdered and had been eaten by the people there. But it didn't deter John from fulfilling the task that God had called him to do. The question is, who prepared John for the task of taking the gospel to the nations? Who prepared him to be willing to run through the jungles to save his own life in order to not be eaten by the people? The answer is his father. James Patton invested in his son who would go and impact his world for Jesus. John wrote about his father when he said, when on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and live him, love him as our divine friend. And as we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light on my father's face and wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to his prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. You see, when it comes to raising children, no one has greater influence than parents. Thankfully, you and I are not left without wisdom and guidance for how we are to raise our children and grandchildren. That is King Solomon's point in Proverbs 22. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 22. We're going through a, a sermon series we started last week through Proverbs called Walk in Wisdom. You see, God's will for his children is that we live lives that are wise. So where does wisdom begin? We saw last week in chapter 1, verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God, and we challenged everyone in our church to read one chapter of Proverbs every day from here all the way through the end, of, the end of September, and to memorize one verse from the book of Proverbs every week. And I'm hearing some great stories about husbands and wives who are reading together and memorizing scripture together. And so if you haven't started, I want to invite you to join in with us. I mean, just every day read a book, excuse me, read a chapter in the book of Proverbs and to memorize one verse for that week. You see, if you want to grow in wisdom, daily study of God's word is essential. You see, Proverbs is saturated with insight for everyday living. It is a practical book. It talks about money, sex, politics, truth-telling, marriage, work, and dozens of other topics. Well, each week in the sermon series, we're going to look at different themes that are addressed in the book of Proverbs. And today, we're going to look at God's design for parenting and grandparenting. And in Proverbs 22, verse 6, 
Solomon gives wisdom to parents on how to invest in their children. Look in the text, and get, beginning with verse 6 of Proverbs 22. Solomon writes, Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. I want you to see in the text this morning three ways that you and I get to invest in our children and grandchildren who will go and impact their world for Jesus. I want you to see, number one, we are to dedicate them to the Lord. Dedicate them to the Lord. Look at verse 6. Solomon uses the word start, verse 6. Some of your translations may say train. Now, this word in the Old Testament is used when dedicating a house or a temple to the Lord. We see this word show up in 1 Kings 8. We see King Solomon offer sacrifices to dedicate the Lord's temple. You see, to dedicate your children to the Lord means from this starting point, moving forward, God, I entrust my children to you. We see this take place in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah is in tears, crying out to God, would you open my womb and give me a baby? God eventually answers her request. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 28, she says, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. You see, this points to a reality, parents, that we must grab hold of, and it's this. Your child belongs first and foremost to the Lord. Your child is not primarily first and foremost yours. They're not. They belong to the Lord. He made them. He sustains them. He loved them first and loves them more than you do. He died and rose again for them. He offers them eternal life, and he will be with them wherever they go. Therefore, we are to start them, train them, give them to the Lord. This dedication, verse 6, it's not referring to a, a ceremony per se, but it can certainly be applied to that. But rather, it's a, a starting point that you decide you're going to channel, uh, you're going to train your child towards the path of the Lord, the path of wisdom, the path of Christ. Like a horse trainer working with a newborn foal and immediately dedicating it to a training regimen, parents dedicate their children to the Lord. I want you to see, secondly, not only do we dedicate them to the Lord, but number two, we direct them towards the Lord. Verse six, Solomon says, start a youth out on his way. Solomon is calling upon parents to direct their child, to direct their teenager, to walk the path of wisdom. Quite simply, he's saying, this is the path you are to walk in. This is how you are to go and live your life. So Solomon is saying, parents, start your children in the way of the Lord. Okay, that's direction, verse 6. But also steer them in the Lord's path. That's direction. Now, parents, you are to direct your child towards the Lord. You're saying, this is the path of wisdom. This is the path of Jesus. You are to walk in his way. So what does this look like practically? In everyday life, how in the world do we go about directing them towards the Lord? I want you to see five ways from the book of Proverbs that you can invest in your children and grandchildren. Number one, pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, 
but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, parents, when you pray for your children, you are unleashing the power of God into their lives. No matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, when you begin praying, your prayers motivate the work of God in their heart and in their life. There's a family in our church who has raised some godly young children. And so several years ago, I asked the mother, I said, please tell me, what is the secret to raising godly children? And she said, I don't know. And she says, it's all grace, but I can give you this advice Pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. And I thought, is that it? That's all you've got for me? And that's when the Lord was like, Kenneth, what else do you need? Pray for your children. As parents, we never stop praying for our kids. Never underestimate the power of your prayers. God is able to multiply your impact through your prayer life. So let me challenge you, parents and grandparents, this week. I want to challenge you this week. I want you to pray out loud with and for your children. You gather them together, place your hand upon their shoulders, and you cry down heaven and just say, God, would you bless my child? Would you draw them to Jesus? May you be their hope and their great desire. God, would you protect them? May they walk in your ways. May they walk in wisdom. I pray they would treasure your word. May they be hungry for more Bible. God, help them to navigate relationships. You just pray out loud for your children. It's interesting. I've made this a habit in my family. And so now, one of my sons, before he runs off to the school bus, he walks up and gives me a hug, and he kind of puts his forehead on my chest. That's his hug now. So come in like I'm too much of a man to get a hug, but I know you're going to call down blessing upon me. So he puts his forehead on my, and I'll put my hand on his shoulders, and I'll pray for him. Parents, you can't do enough of that. You see, you're, as you're praying for your children, as you're placing your hands of, of blessing upon them, you're preparing them for that moment when they're not going to hear your voice anymore. After you're dead and gone, they're going to remember, boy, my mom, my dad prayed for me. I want you to see, number two, you can model Christ-likeness. Model Christ-likeness. Proverbs 12, verse 28. There is life in the path of righteousness, and in its path there is no death. Okay, so as we read the text in light of Christ, Jesus Christ, he is the life. He is the path of righteousness. And as the risen, is risen Christ, in him there is no death. You see, there's life in the path of righteousness. And parents, when you model the gospel with your life, you are preaching a better sermon than your words ever could. You see, parents, your kids are listening with their eyes. They may not listen to everything you say, but they are certainly watching everything you do. Therefore, you must allow the gospel to have impact in every corner of your heart and of your life. And as you model Christ's likeness, it is there that you're directing them towards the Lord. So may I say to you, prioritize Jesus Christ as number one in your heart and life. Allow his lordship to, to, to declare sovereignty over every part of your life. Let them see his work and his beauty and his goodness and his truth all over your heart and your life. 
And it's in the gospel, when your kids begin to see you as one who has been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. You are pointing them to Jesus. You see, Jesus not only died to forgive you of your sins, although he did and he has through him, he also gives you eternal life starting right now. Eternal life is not just the moment you take your last breath. Eternal life is what you possess right now. And so you're living out the life that you have in Christ. And so you display this before your children. Parents and grandparents, when you model Christ-likeness, you are making a greater investment than any last will and testament ever could. So parents, you, you model Christ-likeness to your kids. Can I also say this? Parents, you need to prioritize Jesus and his church in the rhythm of your family life. When you say Jesus is greater than Sunday morning football, Jesus is greater than sleeping in on Sunday, you're preaching a sermon. You're saying this is a priority for us. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And if the government makes me get you up in the morning and send you off Monday through Friday, you better believe I have the influence and the authority from Almighty God to bring you together with God's people. You see, gathering together matters because we're telling our kids, gathering with Jesus' people matters. This is a priority for us. If it's not a priority for you, if you're like, you know, I'm just going to eat, sleep, drink, be merry, and take it easy, you're modeling for your kids a sermon, but it's not one that points to Jesus. Your kids follow your lead. So parents, let me challenge you. Model Christ-likeness. But number three, I want to challenge you to teach Christ's commands. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9 says, Instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. Solomon is he's teaching his son that he may be wise, that he may be well-learned. Parents, you are your child's primary te- teacher. God has called parents to be the primary disciple-makers of their children. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses gives us the Shema. Now, the Shema is a portion of Scripture that those who were Orthodox Jews would repeat at least two times a day. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul. These commands, you are to impress them upon your heart. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You see, God commands parents to teach his word to their children. As parents, we're always teaching. You can even say, you know what? I'm not going to teach my kids anything. I'm going to let them make their own decisions in life. Well, guess what? You're teaching them something right there. As the role of the primary influencer in their life, parents, you're always teaching. Even when you decide you're not going to teach. Why? Because the role of a parent is the call of being a teacher. And so you invest in them by teaching them Christ's commands so that when they grow old, they will not depart from it. When they grow old and they start having children, they're teaching their children. And then they're teaching their children. And then on and on and on and on. You see, multi-generational faithfulness. 
Something that Christy and I have been praying since our marriage began is we're praying for the next 10 generations of Bruce's to love and follow Jesus. I'm asking the Lord to use our family lineage to fulfill the Great Commission. That's a great prayer for you to pray for your children and grandchildren, for those who have yet to have been born, Psalm 78. That they might put their hope in God and follow him and follow his, his instructions. You know, one of the resources that we as a church provide to you as parents is on your Westwood app. Uh, if you uh, turn on your notifications on your app every Sunday at 1 o'clock, you get a notification that shows up on your phone that shows you everything that your child learned that morning and then some discussion questions and some Bible verses that you all can discuss at home. It's a great resource that you can use. If your child is not there, you may say, well, you know what, we're going to just open the Bible, this is crazy, and read it, Okay? This can be at a mealtime. For us, dinner time is the best time because everyone is seated and they're eating something so they're fairly quiet. And so I will open it up and we'll read a Bible story. One thing I would encourage you to do, open the Bible, maybe read a chapter and ask two questions. What's the main point? How does this apply to our life? What's the main point? How does this apply to our life? And you have your child read it if they're old enough to read, or you read it as a parent, and you just get into the practice and the habit. Now, if they squirm, if they move, it's okay. It's process. Practice it. So when they get older, as you've practiced it and gone through the repetition of it, they know, hey, before we go, we're going to take some time to open God's word. Now, we as a family have, have put it in such into the rhythm of our family, our kids will race to the bookshelf because it's all about being first, and they will grab all of the books and bring them to me before I'm done eating because we've, we've trained them up. This is what we do. We teach Christ's commands. But fourthly, we train them for the Great Commission. We train them for the Great Commission. Solomon says in Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and watch this, and he who is wise wins souls. I love that. Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. You see, the great commission of filling the earth with people who love and follow the Lord, it was initiated in Genesis, and it will be fulfilled in the book of Revelation. The task is great. The workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers, to raise up workers, men and women who will be preachers of the gospel. They will be those who are wise because they are winning souls. We train them for the Great Commission. And then number five, we send them out. Send them out. Solomon wrote in Psalm 127, verses four and five, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. A blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Hear me today. Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. You aim them and then you send them out. You see, your children, they need to be aimed. The question is, what are you as a parent aiming at? Are you pointing them to Jesus, the impact that they can have for his glory on the nations and their neighbors? You see, as parents, we aim our children like arrows, and then we send them out. In your worship guide, I included a note called uh, Milestones for the Bruce Boys. It's also in your app, and what I have provided for you are different phases in the life of my sons 
in which I am seeking to train them up to be men. So when the time comes when they pray to receive Christ and they get baptized, at the top of the sheet, you see what we do as a family. The night before, we talk about the gospel, we talk about baptism, our whole family lays hands on them and we pray for them. We teach them the gospels, our purpose, and we give them a gift, a compass. And on the back of the compass, I have Jesus is your true north written on the back of it. When they turn 10, we go on a man weekend. It's a two-day trip in which the primary purpose is to introduce them to the topic of sex. I've done it with two of my, my, my sons so far, and I've got some hilarious stories that are not appropriate for this moment. But I always leave them with three rules. I will always tell you the truth. You can ask me any question you want to. Don't you dare tell your brothers what I just told you. <laughs> but I'll tell them, hey, this is an ongoing conversation. I need you to understand this. We live in a world that is going to be influencing you in this area, and I want to train you and prepare you for this. At age 12, we do a man talk. It's a one-day event where I'm going to teach them how to change a tire, how to change the oil, how to tie a tie, how to do manly things. We're going to finish it off with a steak dinner that night with other men whom I'm going to invite who have invested in their life, and we're going to talk about manhood. And it's at that point I'm going to tell them, you're a man now. You're 12 years old. You're no longer a little boy. I'm not treating you like a little boy anymore. You're a man, and I'm training you for that. At age 14, we're going to go do something fun. At age 16, they're in charge of mobilizing and leading a local ministry project for our whole family to go serve. We're teaching them leadership. I want them to learn how to serve others. You can see different gifts I give to them along the way. And then at age 18, they get to go on an international mission trip with me in which we go to a country of their choosing, and we're going to go and preach the gospel. Now listen, this is not the plan. This is a plan. I want to encourage you. This is for you as parents and grandparents. You can take it and own it, put your name on it. You can change it, make it better. But this is just a strategy I wanted to put in your tool belt so that you can use this as a means of training your children to grow in the gospel so that when that time comes, you can send them out. Third and finally in the text, depend upon the Lord for their future. Depend upon the Lord for their future. Verse six, even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. This is the aim of our efforts. Verse 6, when our children, our grandchildren, they grow old, they're not departing from following Christ. The way that the, the text reads is like a farmer who's trying to grow a tree to grow in a certain direction. So you train him up in the bent of his way. So as a farmer might try and bend a tree to grow in a certain direction, we as parents bend our children in the way that they should go. We want to bend them toward the path of following Christ so that when they become a mature tree, when they become a mature adult, they are in the same path, they're following the same traje trajectory in following Christ. Now hear me today. If your children are compliant and easy to raise, then praise God, grace abounds, give him thanks because the rest of us are losing our hair. It's amazing. Y'all, God has this whole thing rigged, by the way. He gives us these little bundles of joy that exasperate us, which then forces us to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
And that's what God does. He providentially orchestrates all things to force us to depend upon him. Like that's one of his purposes in giving us children, even those who are defiant and manipulative and are strong-willed. He's using them as means to point us to our need for him. Because we cry out, James 1, 5, oh God, give me wisdom. What do I do? But here's also some good news. If you have a child or grandchildren that you have lost sleep over, here's some good news. God graciously gives us difficult children to put his power and glory on display. Parenting keeps us humble and it keeps us dependent upon the Lord for wisdom. You see, if the Lord had not graciously given me any children that were very difficult to deal with, I would be very arrogant. I would teach conferences on parenting. I would write books and tell you what you should and should not do. And yet the Lord has graciously given me children that are like, good luck with that, Dad. (laughs) I'll see your rules and I'll change the game. But the Lord is teaching me. He is humbling me. He is showing me my desperate dependence for him. You see, God designed children as a means of growing us in grace. Now, verse 6 can bring guilt upon parents. If you have a child, if you have a grandchild that is not walking in wisdom, they've walked away from Jesus, verse 6 can become a guilt trip. What did I do wrong? Where did I blow it? Well, there's a truth you need to make sure you grab hold of before you will let that guilt monster eat you, and it's this. A proverb provides a general principle, not a guaranteed promise. Verse 6 is not a promise. It's a principle. And as parents, you can do everything right. You can pray, you can model, you can teach, you can train, and you can send, and your child can still walk away from the faith. You could be the world's best Christian parent and still your child can go their own way rather than the way of Christ. And to be quite frankly, this is the scariest and most difficult part of parenting for me. To think that my child may one day walk away from Jesus. You see, when your child was placed in your arms, they were not brought to you morally neutral. They are wicked at heart. And though they are precious image image bearers made by God and for his glory, their hearts are defiant and stand in direct opposition to the Lord. And there's no greater object lesson than to walk into a preschool classroom. No one taught them to pull hair and to take toys and to bite each other. But you see, their hearts are bent towards evil, which is why they need the gospel which is why they are in desperate need of grace. But you see, their hearts are just like our hearts, wicked and selfish and sinful, which is why we need the grace of Jesus. You see, the gospel is what motivates obedience and shepherds us as parents as we know how to lead our children in the way that they should go. When we see what God has done for us through his son by sending him to the cross to die for our sin, to wash us clean, to give us a new heart, to rise again on the third day to give us hope and victory moving forward. You see, the gospel has everything to do with how you shepherd and how you parent, and it's 
it has everything to do with who they are and where they are going. You see, whether your child grows up to love and follow Jesus or not, the key is, do you belong to Jesus? Is your identity hidden in Christ or is your identity in the behavior of your children? May I call you this morning to root yourself in Jesus and in who he says you are. No matter how great your sin is, Jesus' grace is greater. His grace is greater than all of your sin, all of your mistakes, all of your failures as a parent and as an individual. But moving forward for us, we, we pray, we model, we teach, we train, we send. Why? Because verse 6, it's a principle. It's a generally true. So we, this is what we labor for. It's hard work. If this was easy, everybody would do it. But this is the call that God places upon us. Now, Kenneth. What if my kids are all grown? Can I say to you, you can still influence them. You can still do numbers one through five there. Pray, model, teach, train, send. You can still invest in your children and grandchildren no matter how old they are. But what if, Kenneth, I didn't do a good job? What if I was not present? What if I, when I was present, wasn't leading and loving Jesus and modeling Jesus? What do I do? There's a couple of things. Number one is you need to humble yourself. You need to confess to the Lord your shortcomings and say, Lord, I did not model well. And then you need to go to your children and go to your grandchildren and say, will you please forgive me? I did not model well. And then moving forward, you go do steps one and two. You pray and you model. And then when the Lord, in his timing, grants you favor, that's when you go three, four, and five. Then you can teach. Then you can train. Then you can send. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ means that you can be forgiven of your past and you get a fresh start on your future, including parenting. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I didn't lead or shepherd my kids. Well, may I say to you, there is still hope. And the empty tomb proves it. That God is not done with you yet. And even while you're still breathing, you have opportunity to continue to invest in your children who will go and impact their world for Jesus. But you see, parenting is pointing us not only to our imperfections, it's pointing us to the perfections of Christ. That Jesus alone is the one who perfectly prays and intercedes for us on, before the Father. Jesus is the one who perfectly modeled how we are to live. Jesus perfectly taught and obeyed God's commands when we could not. Jesus perfectly trains us for the task of the Great Commission. Jesus sends us to take his gospel to the nations and our neighbors. Parents, we have a perfect Savior to point our imperfect children to. He's the answer. He is the solution. And ultimately, we must depend upon the Lord for whatever future our children may have. Parents, no one, no one, no one has more influence over your children than you. Therefore, leverage that. 
Invest in your kids. Invest in your grandkids who will go and impact their world for Jesus. Prepare them to be unafraid of going to the South Pacific and being eaten by cannibals. Prepare them to be unashamed of the gospel. Prepare them to teach their children and their grandchildren about Christ and what he has done for us. Let's go and invest in the next generation who will go and have impact in their world for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you.